0: It's loosening up this morning, amen. Got a good subject for you this morning. We are um, in our last sermon in the series, The Character of God. It's been a pretty good sermon series. We've talked a lot about just just the very nature of God, what's God like, because a lot of people have some uh, misconstrued ideas about what God is really like, and so we've been revealing that. And I'm going to finish this sermon series with a very special message on holiness, the holiness of God. So if you would, you can turn in your Bibles uh, to Exodus chapter 3. If you have one, if not, you can follow along with us on the screen. But while you're turning there, if you would, I'd love for you uh, to pray with me. So would you just bow your heads with me and let's pray this morning. Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, for each person that's here this morning, for each person that's listening, God. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. And just like Caitlin was praying, Lord God, we ask that you would fill that gap in our lives, So many of us, God, we come each week with gaps in our lives, and we try to fill them with so many other things, but Jesus, you're the only one that we need. You are that one thing, God, that brings us satisfaction, that brings us fulfillment in our lives, and Lord, in you, Lord Jesus, we are complete. And so this morning, we ask that by the power of your spirit, you would anoint this word, you would give it life, you would set our hearts free in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. We've also got some baptisms following service so stick around for that. We're just we're glad to have you this morning. So we're talking about holiness and honestly I don't know holiness is a vocabulary word that is really specific to the Christian church isn't it? You don't hear it anywhere else outside in the world. There's a lot of words uh, that that, that are in scripture that honestly you don't hear used outside of that that, that frame of reference. And holiness if, if you're from southeastern Kentucky, you might, you might have different ideas about what holiness is. You may think it's a denomination. I remember I had a friend that was uh, in the holiness church for, for, and he still is in the holiness church and he was telling me a story one time about how him and his buddy that was a preacher went and preached at the jail and he went in there to these women and preached on holiness standards and he was telling them about the clothes they ought to wear and how they ought not wear makeup and stuff like that and he sort of leaned over at him. and he said, buddy, they ain't got no makeup on and they're wearing orange jumpsuits. You know, I was like, I was like, well, okay, so, 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 but when we think about holiness, I remember, and I, and listen, I, I'm never here to make fun, that was just what he told me, I mean, I thought it was funny, so, 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 when I think about holy like, for example, when I first got saved, um, the, the term holy. It's, it's like it's got to do with your actions. It's got to do with maybe you being a, a moral, morally superior person or something like that. So I remember when I first got saved, you know, my, my, some of my buddies uh, who I used to go out and party with and stuff like that, they, they got all upset. Maybe you've been in the same thing. And sometimes it's a derogatory phrase like, oh, they're all holy now. Yeah, and so they think of it in terms of that way. So almost like holiness has become like a derogatory term. We either think it's uh, these this group of people over here, or maybe it's a bad thing because somehow or another you're, you feel like you're morally superior to other people. But let me tell you something. Holiness is the most pure and beautiful thing that exists on the planet, because ultimately the only thing that is truly holy is God Himself. And the only way that you become holy is not by some set of standards or guidelines that I give you. If you wear this, say that, and act like that, you will become holy. No, that is not how you become holy. You become holy because you enter into a relationship with the only being in the universe who is holiness himself. God alone is holy. And if we become holy, which is God's desire for us, it is because we are in union with the one who is holy. And there's no set of rules or guidelines that you can follow in your own strength that will ever make you holy. It'll never make you pure. So we need to know this God who we talk about. Now, I want you to understand that really holiness entails an experience with the living God. If you come from a background where you went to a church and, 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 and it was never about an experience or an encounter with God, it was all about head knowledge or ritual and stuff like that. You know, I, I pity you. I grew up. I grew up in a church, honestly, and I just thought that's what God was. It's like you go, You do a ritual in church, you go through the motions, you have some head knowledge about who He is, but as far as knowing Him in your heart, that's something different. I don't really know about that. But see, I grew up my whole life really in my mind knowing about God, thinking, I knew God, thinking I was saved, but truly not honestly knowing God at the end of the day, never having had an encounter with him. And most of you all, some of you guys are new, but most of y'all, you've heard a little bit about my testimony. I'm going to share just a, 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 a piece of it here this morning because my first encounter with holiness changed my life. And you need an encounter with the holiness of God. You need an encounter with a holy living God. More than anything else in your life, you need to experience this. And I'm going to say that most of you in this room, on some level, you have experienced it. On some me- there's been some measure of experiencing it, but there's more to God than this. We've none of us have tapped into the full holiness and purity of God. But for, so my background, I'm 34 years old now. My name's Clay. For those of you who don't know me, but I grew up here in Manchester, and like most people, I went through you know a life like probably your average young person did. But I had some I had some wounds when I was a kid. You know, I was 10 years old. Some bad things happened. Different things happened here, and there, just like the rest of us. And 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 as a teenager, I turned to alcohol, which slowly led to turning to drugs and, 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 and sex and I was using those things to fill the gap and fill the void in my life and by the time I was in high school and into my high school years and then ultimately into college I was addicted to these things and that was my identity that's who I wanted to be it's what brought me joy I thought but the deeper I went into it see the more empty I became. Now, obviously, there was a lot more involved in it. I was dealing with depression. I was bitter. I was angry. I had a really bad anger problem. Uh, I love people, but at the end of the day, I could be a little bit hateful, you know what I'm saying, if you push my buttons. And there was a lot of issues going on in my heart, and no doubt there still are. But there was a moment, see, I, I, I decided when I read the Scripture that I got convicted, and I saw that this God in the Scripture was calling me to something other than what I am. And it convicted my heart. And so I remember when I was uh, in in 2007, I was 20 years old. I prayed and fasted for the first time. And I said, Lord, I want to consecrate myself to you. I don't know how to get out of what I'm in, but I know that I can't do it because I've tried. And I'm asking you to help me get out of this. And it started this 11-month journey from December the 25th, that day when I consecrated my life to God. Let me tell you something. It did not get better at first for those of you who are just joining us in the Christian walk. Like, it got worse, Matter of fact, that year after I said, Lord, I'm giving you my life, probably the worst year of my life. I mean, it got hard. There were demons coming from every direction. There was more insanity going on in my life than ever before. But I was consecrating myself. I was putting time aside to God. I was opening the Bible and reading it. I was praying. I was fasting. I was seeking the face of God. But no matter how hard I tried to change my life and become holy, I continued to fail over and over again. But something was changing and God was doing a work in me and I was growing and my mind was being renewed. But I was still holding on to some of those impure things because I had learned they had become my crutch. They had become what I held on to. And as I went on this journey with God, 11 months into this journey, I remember coming coming to to the end of myself where I just couldn't take it anymore. I said, Lord, if I, if I cannot live the way the Bible is telling me to live and the way you've called me to live, then I just don't want to live anymore. And I remember I had been, I'd been out partying one last night. And I came home just feeling miserable, full of shame, full of guilt, thinking God hated me. And I went up into my bedroom and I began to weep. And I said that to God. I said, God, if, you, if I can't live the way you've called me to live, I don't want to live. And I tell you, the holy presence of God flooded that room. And it flooded my heart. And I was up in Lexington. I can take you to the bedroom. It's some apartment up there on Stewart Hall Boulevard. And, and, and I, it flooded my heart. Now, here's the thing. In a moment of time, what I experienced on the inside of me, and I've said this a million times, everything I had read about Jesus all of a sudden came alive. I saw Jesus. I don't know how to explain it. I didn't see him with my natural eyes. I saw him with my heart. And inwardly, there was a white, hot, burning light that was exposing all of the filthiness, all of the sin, all of the darkness in my heart. Now, here's what I assumed about God in that moment. I always assumed that if He ever really got close to all of my sin and filthiness and stuff, that He would just incinerate me and say, But you're too bad, and just zap me. But in that moment, let me tell you something, everything in my life was being completely exposed, and I recognized how filthy, how wretched, how miserable, how dirty I was with no ability to cleanse myself, but at the same time that I was being exposed, hot liquid love just came in and poured over my soul, and that holiness and that purity began to purge me and begin to cleanse me, and it made me whole, and in that moment, the things that, that were impure that I used to want to hold on to, all of a sudden, they lost their grip in my life because I had seen the Holy One. I had countered in holiness. And in that moment, see, he didn't come to judge me and say, you're too far. You're too dirty. You're too distant to come into my presence. No, he came into my presence to purify me, to cleanse me and to make me new and to make me whole. And he set me free. That was my my first encounter with God's holiness. And I continue, and I pray, God, I need to continue to encounter this holiness. I want to tell you about another time, because a lot of people, you're like, well, I've never had an experience like that. My my relationship with God, I've never had that, and I get that. But just because you've never had that doesn't mean that you can't have an experience with God. You need to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord for these things. But but see, even in our regular day-to-day life, we've got mundane day-to-day life, and I, I get that. But last year... Uh, my wife and I, we've been on a process, we've been married seven years, and most of you guys you know our story, we've been dealing with infertility, couldn't have a baby, prayed, 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 didn't happen, and the Lord, through different means, led us to adoption, and I remember the heartbreak that going through this season and just the difficulty of it all, and we end up going through this process, and we're going uh, to adopt our baby in, in Utah, and we go, and uh, the, you know, we meet with the birth mother, and I'm telling you, man, it's an emotional experience, and it's um, help me not cry. Right. I mean, I just think bad, it. but it's a holy moment. And, and, and what you what you go in. And here's the thing. She's born and we go and we see her and we're in Utah. And, and it's just everything is converging on me all at once, because in your life, you feel these moments where it's like, man, is God really even directing my life? Because things just feel broken. And they feel like a mess. And I know God's called me, but I don't sense Him. I don't sense Him. But all of a sudden in that moment, everything was converging. And God was revealing Himself to me. And He was speaking to me so loudly. Saying, in the pain, in the brokenness, when it doesn't make sense, I've always been the author of your life. I've always been the author of your life. And so the baby is born. And the birth mother wants to, to, to be with her for a day, and I, we totally understood that. So we left the hospital after we meet Naomi, and, and we go out. You can put these images up. We go out. We take a drive. Put that first photo up if you don't care. And I, So th- this is actually outside of the hospital. We're sitting in the hospital room waiting to go back to see our newborn baby. I, we turn and take a picture, and that's the picture. And all of these things are converging on me all at once. And I look at the God who made the universe, who made those mountains with a word spoken. And he says, I'm the author of your life. I'm directing everything. Everything makes sense in my plan. I look at that. We take a drive after we leave the hospital and go to the next one. And we go to this place. Look at that. That's crazy. I don't know. Like you see it in a magazine, you're just like, we, we think those things are commonplace. But in that moment, I'm thinking this is the creator of the universe. We're talking about the God who created all things from literally nothing. Have you ever tried to think about nothing? I mean, seriously. I tried to do it the other day. I tried to think about nothing. And what I thought about was black space. But do you realize that black space is still actually something? When God created things, He created time, He created space, He created matter. We don't even have the functional capabilities of thinking about nothing. Even when we think about nothing, it's something. But God created all things from nothing. Everything else in life comes from something. So go, go to the next picture. We're driving, and this dude just walks in front of our vehicle. And I'm thinking, and it's just, like, I don't know, I'm being overwhelmed by this for some reason. And before, maybe you just, but see, here's what we do, because we live with, with a, in, in a society where nothing is holy. We'll drive by stuff like that and be looking, checking out likes on Instagram. Because we don't know how to treat anything as holy anymore. Anything as sacred. And then finally, one last picture just to help you out right there. Right there. That's the first time I looked at her. They placed her in my arms the day she was born. Right there she is. And she was snoring right there. But all that stuff was converging on me all at once. And I don't know if that's the best, the best uh, example of what holiness is. But I'm telling you, when you're dealing with a holy God, what holiness is literally the meaning of the word is to be set apart To be uncommon. It's other, totally other, totally unique. Something that you have not experienced in the normal day-to-day life. It's something beyond, something beyond what you fully understand. And when you have a moment with the holiness of God, there are other things that can't be brought into that moment. You can't defile a holy moment with God. When you're sitting here worshiping God like we were last Sunday night, and y'all remember just the presence of God flooding this place, the last thing you want to do is sit down in your chair and look at your iPad. Because the holiness of God is there. It's present. And something is moving and something is changing. But let me get into Scripture in Exodus 3 because the first mention of the word holy is actually in Exodus 3 with a guy named Moses who has an encounter with this God that we're talking about. And in Exodus 3 verses 1 through 6, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. Think about that. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now notice, Moses has been in Egypt for 40 years of his life, raised up under Pharaoh as Pharaoh's literal son, so to speak. He realizes that actually he is an Israelite. He's a Jew uh, by birth. And he sees one of his brothers being beaten and tormented by some of the Egyptians who who, who have enslaved them. And he defends him and actually murders an Egyptian. So he's a hunted man. He goes out into the desert. He's there 40 years tending sheep with his uh, uh, father-in-law Jethro. And as he's tending sheep, he's taking these sheep to the backside of the desert, the mountain of God, Horeb. And all of a sudden he looks over and he sees a bush with a fire in the midst of it. But the bush is not consumed. And I told somebody the other day, I read this story. And because a lot of times when I'm reading scripture, I'm thinking, Lord, you got to give me something out of this. And I'm thinking about that. What in the world does a bush not being consumed have to do with anything? And all of a sudden, as I'm studying, the Lord begins to deal with my heart. And he says, see, the bush is not consumed. And we had a big bonfire on, uh, on Friday night there. Anybody come to that? It was a good, pretty good bonfire. But the thing about the bonfire is this. We had to keep adding wood to keep that thing burning. When he looks at this bush, this bush is not being consumed. There's a fire in the midst of it, but the bush itself is not burning. The only way a human-made fire can continue to burn is if it has fuel to burn and it continues to consume that. But God is saying, I don't need fuel to burn. I'm the totally independent one. Everything that is made comes from me. Everything else that is created ultimately is totally dependent on something else. You would not draw another breath if it wasn't for the sovereign God giving you that breath to breathe. Everything that we have ever even made, we make out of other things in the image of God. There ain't one person in here you've ever designed or created anything that came from nothing. And all of those things that we make are actually dependent on us for them to work properly. Nobody has made anything that can run and be completely self-sufficient all the time. Everything is dependent that is in creation. But God is the one in that midst of the burning bush. The I am that I am who is completely self-sufficient. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need anything. He is self-sufficient on his own. He is the only being in the entire universe who is like that. And what I love about this God is in the midst of this encounter, he actually calls Moses into ministry. And when he calls Moses into ministry the same way that he calls us, guess what? God didn't need me to come into ministry to save the world. You realize that? But he invited me to participate with him in this calling. And he says, look, I don't need you. I'm totally independent. I can get things done on my own, but I want to call you to join in on my mission. And if you will allow me to call you, I will put my fire in you and I will burn on the inside of you as well. That's what he's saying. And for many of you, you need to experience this because God is calling you right now, but you've not yielded to it yet. You've not had an encounter with his holiness yet, but he's calling you and he's saying, I am the one that draws you in. And then Moses said in verse 3, notice, he said, I will now turn aside to see this great sight while the bush does not burn. Any of you going through stuff and you talk to yourself like, yeah, you'll see a bush burning like, huh, I will now turn aside. And you see, you see that bush... He says, I'm going to now turn aside. Now, this is important. Why does this bush not burn? Stage one encounter with the holy, I need you to understand, It's surprise and curiosity. I remember going into a church one time. It was the first time. And I, I know some of y'all, as soon as I say this, you're going to say, well, that's just crazy. I remember going into a church one time, and I never really been to church where stuff happens. You know what I'm talking about? Where stuff happens. I remember the first time I heard, I was sitting by a woman, and I honestly was still a little bit buzzed from earlier in the day. I was a young guy. I wasn't wasn't free yet. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody, nobody, all right. Y'all are holy, I know. Before I was saved, I come in, I sit down, and this woman beside me, man, gives a message in tongues. And I was like, oh, gosh. Uh, it scared me. Dead. But, I, I, you know, everybody else is freaked out by that. Like you speak in tongues and people will be totally free. You know what it did to me? It, uh, it brought surprise and curiosity in my heart. Because up to that point, everything in my, I tried everything. Everything else was mundane. And in my heart, I said, thank God, something that is finally other than what I've been experiencing. To me, it was a wake-up call. To me, it was this God that is beyond your understanding. He's deeper than what you thought about Him up to this point. You've not fully understood this God. This God has more power. This God is more just beautiful and, and outside of the ordinary and the mundane. He cannot be contained by the local church that you go to. He's bigger than that. And it messed with my heart. And Moses has surprise and curiosity. In verse 4, it says, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, that's very important because do you know that many of you will experience God right in your midst? But the thing that you don't do is because you are so distracted, you don't turn aside to look. You just go on because you got, you're busy. got stuff at work stuff with the family let me tell you something God is more important than your job he's more important than your family he's more important than anything else that is going on in your life and if you don't turn aside to look your family and your job is going to pay the consequences man that's good right there clay I didn't think he was gonna preach that good this morning but that is good and he turned aside to look and God says God says to him, because of that, God calls to him. Some of you, God's not called to you yet because you've not turned aside to look. You've not turned aside to look at what you're seeing, what he's placed right in front of you. And God God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And of course, what does he say? Here I am. I mean, if a fire in a bush is talking to me and says, hey, Clay, Clay, what are you going to say? I'm like, here I am. And then the voice says, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So it goes from surprise and curiosity to literally stage two in the presence of God is is, is terror and fear. Somebody said, well, Lord, surely you don't got to fear God. Here's what I'm telling you. God ain't trying to make you scared. That is not His main goal. But God is so completely other than you that when you come into His presence, there's a true trembling. When you come into the true presence of God you don't come in all trivial, all nonchalant. There's something that overwhelms you when you realize you are in the presence of the one who gave you breath, the one who put the stars in the sky. And there's a terror and a fear that overwhelms your soul. Now God doesn't want to keep you in that place of terror and fear, but He's so afraid in this moment that He literally hides His face because He does not want to look upon God. And He realizes that even that space where God is, see it's not just that God is there but the space around where god is has become holy he's saying you can't just step in here all nonchalant you need to take the sandals off of your feet to come into this place and you know a lot of people talk about that they'll say well why did he take why are you taking shoes off what sense does that even make and you know in our culture we have like how many of y'all like if you come into your house you make sure people take their shoes off right anybody you won't raise your hand because you feel bad but there's a lot of people that do that I've had people about whip me over not taking my shoes off in their house. But the idea, right, is like, well, you've been stepping in some stuff. Like, you walked in bathrooms. Maybe there's some fecal matter on your shoes. We don't know. My kids are crawling around here. I don't know. Now, me, I don't care. I'll eat anything. You know what I'm saying? You can come in. If you stepped in something outside, you can walk in my living room right in the carpet. We don't care. But the thing is, but the thing is, when you come into God's presence, he says, look, there's something on your sandals that cannot just come into the presence of God like this. Everything that's common in your day to day. See, there's, there's things that are just common that we're becoming real commonplace to. All the stuff we watch on Netflix and all the things that we ingest and everything that we listen to, it's just becoming common. And there's a place where God says, hey, don't you realize that some of these things you can't actually take into the presence of God with you? Some of these things need to be left behind. Some of these things are a little bit impure. Some of these things are a lot impure. Some of these things you need to take off in order to enter into this sacred space. And see, there's something that needs to be left behind, but anything in the Old Covenant that was associated with death, disease, and impurity did not belong in a holy place. Is is it a good thing to be invited into the presence of God? It's the best thing to be invited into the presence of God. But especially back then, you needed to be aware of how you actually went into the presence of God. We talked about all the time in this church how whenever we did a sermon series on the tabernacle, which I'll talk about in a minute. But you know, the Jewish tradition says that even the high priest who went into the most holy place one time a year, they put a rope around that man's leg just in case he went in there undefiled and he dropped dead in the presence of God. It was a holy place. He wasn't supposed to just waltz in there unsanctified without thinking about what he was doing. Now, stick with me because I understand this is this is a lot of the reason, and I'm going to hash this out by the time we're done, but this is a lot of the reason, and I'm going to bet that there's people in this house this morning because I see new faces, but there's people in this house this morning that have a view of God that they say, I cannot tell a number of people in southeastern Kentucky, I've invited them to church, they say something along the lines of, I can't come there, i got to get my life together. I can't come there, I'm still doing this. I can't come there, the walls will fall in on me. And I'm telling you, you can come here, but it's not not because of what you've done, it's because of what Jesus has done. Now, Now, and you're welcome here. And I'm going to make more sense of that as we go, but there's a leading up to that. Because if Jesus had just done what He did and died on the cross from the get-go without first really dealing with our sins and letting us know that God is holy and we are not... Then we would have taken it lightly. We, have not, we would not have understood what he was really wanting to do in our life and setting us free from sin. So, step three, see, is the calling and the commission because he enters into this place. It's curiosity. He turns aside. He looks. But then he sees God. There's terror and fear. And then finally, in that moment, when you see the Holy One, your life is forever changed. Like I had plans to go to law school, I was going to follow in my dad's footsteps. When I encountered the Holy One, all of that burnt away. All my plans, they burnt, they went in fire. God calls me into ministry. I'm like, how am I going to do this, Lord? I don't even know the Bible. But you had just had an encounter with the Holy One. It doesn't matter what you know and what you don't know. He's calling you, and you yield and you respond to this Holy God because there's nothing else you can do once you've had that experience. So Moses goes in after he has this encounter with the Holy Presence of God, goes into Egypt. You remember the story. He sets the people free. They come out on the Red Sea. The waters are are parted. They come back to the same mountain and on that mountain they have the same encounter corporately as four million people as Moses did individually as one. God shows up on the mountain. The presence of God is so holy. They say "Don't we ain't going near that. You go talk to him Moses. We don't want to deal with that God. You go talk to him. And so Moses goes and talks to him and he receives instructions and the instructions are how to build a tabernacle to host the Holy presence of God. Because God wants to be among His people, but see, He has to teach them how to be among them properly. So they build the tabernacle, and outside anybody can camp around the outside of it, but when you go into the gates, you got to bring a sacrifice in order to enter in. And then in order to enter into the holy place, you've got to be a priest. Sanctified, cleansed, going through rituals to get into that holy place. And then on the inside of it is the most holy place where one man goes one time a year to offer sacrifice for sins for everybody. And not anybody can go in there. You remember there's a veil there, 18 inches thick, keeping us back from that most holy place because God's presence is good, but it's also powerful and therefore it's very dangerous. Leviticus 11, Leviticus is really a book that God is trying to teach them how to be holy. How to come into His presence. And in Leviticus 11, verse 44 through 45, He says, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves and you shall be holy. That means you've got to set yourself apart from the rest of the world. And be holy. Be different. Be other. He said, For I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy For I am holy. And we know that in Peter, he quotes this very verse. But see, he's saying there's there's certain behaviors and there's certain things that we do, certain things that we say that just shouldn't be in the presence of God. And Leviticus teaches certain things because one of the main things that Leviticus teaches is ritual law. Now, they would be impure just because they simply touched a dead body or because they were around some kind of infectious disease. And, and it, it, kind of like coronavirus right now, you know, you get around anybody, you got to go quarantine for like, you know, 10 days or whatever. They, they had the same principle. You touched a dead body, you got around somebody with leprosy, you touched reproductive bodily fluids, you had to go and cleanse yourself and separate yourself for seven days because you could not come into the presence of God having been defiled like that. Now, it wasn't that you were a sinner. It was that you were impure and God's presence was holy and it wasn't something to be treated lightly. And so they had these ritualistic laws and they embodied this value. And here's why. Because they understood the privilege of hosting the presence of the Lord. Now, I need you to understand this, church. I know we got a lot of visitors. But we as a church, more than anything else, it's not about us preaching good sermons or singing good songs. It is about the fact that as the church of the living God, we have the privilege and the honor of hosting the presence of the holy living God. And you have to take that into account. If we're hosting the presence of the holy living God, we believe that when people come in, it's very possible. And what we're even praying for, what we don't really want, I, I love it, you know, when you say, man, that worship team was amazing because our worship team is amazing. But what I want you leaving here with is not man she is such a good singer. What I want you leaving here with was we met God in there. I couldn't really put a finger on it, but there was a there was something different. I felt something other than I'd ever felt. Maybe a peace overwhelmed you. Maybe there was a holy fear. Maybe there was an awe. Maybe the love of God was poured out in your heart. But you had an encounter with a living God in a holy place. And that's what God is calling us to. So they dealt with ritual purity in that. And and again, I'm going to make more sense of that because we don't do those things anymore, thank God. But they also dealt with moral purity. And Leviticus is really, if you read the book, it's really concerned with their sexual behavior. It deals with, hey, like, y'all need to, Stick with one wife, you know, you need to be married to her. You need to do, and, and it deals with adultery. It deals with things like, it deals with their business practices, not lying, not cheating, not stealing. It deals with their generosity to the poor. Do they even care about the broken in their land? It deals with their healthy, loving relationships and talks about how they ought to live. And the reason that he's doing this is he's saying, look, if you are going to demonstrate God to the rest of the world who don't know God, you must be different than the world. You are in a relationship with the author of all life who is the author of all beauty, of all purity, of all goodness, of all truth. And he says, if you are going to demonstrate who I am as my ambassador to this world, you set yourself apart. You live differently so that you shine as a light in the midst of all of this. And he says, this is how you need to live if you're going to do that. Now, here's the problem. How did they do? How y'all know how they did? If you read the Old Testament, they failed miserably. None of them did it. They all broke the law. They failed time and time and time again. And this is why you see a group of people called the prophets being raised up. And the prophets were, they would come in, and here's what the prophets would do the prophets would have an encounter with this holy God. They would see his purity, they would see his goodness, and then they would look at the people and say, This does not line up. And so they would come in and they would preach a pretty hard message sometimes. Matter of fact, people were afraid of the prophets. You read the old covenant and the prophet would show up. This is what I want people to do. I'm just kidding. I really don't want you to do this. But like the prophet would show up on the scene. It'd be like me coming to your house and I knock on the door and they're like, "Oh no. Clay's out there." <laughs> and then they open the door and they say, "Are you for us or against us?" <laughs> Cuz they knew the prophet was coming to bring judgment, son. Like he was coming there with a mission. He was going to expose their sins where they broke in the covenant where they were no longer maintaining their holiness and he was going to call them out and call them back to repentance. And if they did not repent, you know what God was going to do? God was going to hand them over and allow judgment to fall on their heads. And so God is calling them into this place. I know right now you're thinking, man, this is a crazy sermon. I don't think I'll go back to church. Wait to the end. We're not done yet. So the prophets come, and one prophet in particular, very important prophet, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 2, let's read this. This prophet Isaiah comes along and he says this in Isaiah chapter 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. Now notice he says in the year that King Uzziah died. Why is that even important? Why do they list that? Because King Uzziah was a good king. If you read in scripture, King Uzziah was a a king that actually did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he started when he was 16 years old reigning in Israel. And he reigned for 52 years. That's a long time. I know some of y'all right now, you want Donald Trump to reign for 52 years, but it ain't going to happen. Amen. Oh, praise God. But he reigned for 52 years. And in that 52 years, he did some good work. People loved this king. And and, and, and he, he, he had led a lot of good things in the kingdom at that time and it was known throughout. But toward the end of his life, he was lifted up in pride and he did something that he should not have done. He went into the temple of God where only the priests could go. And when he went in, the priest said, buddy, you cannot go in there. I know you're the king. But when, see, they tried to stop him because he was the king, he did not submit to their authority and he got enraged because they were trying to keep him out of the temple. And when he got enraged, all of a sudden leprosy broke out all over his whole body and soon thereafter he died. And they're tore up because they're thinking, man, our king for 52 years who's been leading us and ruling over us and reigning has went into the presence of God. And we think God's bringing judgment on us. We think think something terrible has happened and we're broken. We don't know the direction to go. And Isaiah, guess what? He does what King Uzziah does. He probably shouldn't have done it, but he goes into the temple himself. And he's a priest at the time, but he goes into the temple himself. And while he's in there, see, what God does is he reveals himself to him and he sees the true king. High and lifted up, sitting on a throne, as if to say, look, you all thought he was your king, but all this time you need to realize I am the one true king. Joe Biden ain't no king. Donald Trump ain't no king. The king of the universe is still on the throne, folks. High and lifted up, in control, over all the affairs of life. Yes, we want good rulers in this world, but at the end of the day, we know that God is over all of that. And we yield, and we need to get a vision of the one who's up there doing things that we can't even fully understand. And he gets this vision in the year that King Uzziah died. And he says, and I saw this. He had an image. And what he sees is literally the images and symbols and icons that would be in, in, in the actual temple itself. And he sees these winged creatures. I want you to imagine, say, literally an alien, the, pretty much. I mean, it's a seraphim. And it's a living creature and some people in in some places in Scripture they have four faces because they represent the four corners of the earth and they represent all the created order. And they have six wings representing all the created order and they fly around and they're watchers of the divine presence and it's basically you see a representation of all the created order looking at God, looking at His divine presence and all they can say is holy. Here's what it says in verse 3. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. So you see these creatures that represent all of creation, including myself and yourself, because on one side of them they have a human face. And when they see God, the only thing that they can cry out in His presence is holy. They see something that is so pure, so full of light, that nobody can even approach it. He dwells in unapproachable light. And they have this instance, and I love what it says because Isaiah is dealing with this. And in verse 4 and 5, it says, The posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, notice, notice what, what Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am undone. One translation says, I'm ruined. I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In the moment when he sees God, and really all he sees is the train of his robe filling the temple. He doesn't even see the fullness of God. He sees the bottom part of his garment and it literally blows his mind. Doesn't even see all of the fullness of God. But in that moment when God floods that space and floods that room, the first thing that he notices is what Moses noticed. He had terror and fear and trepidation. And what he noticed is all of his moral compromises were exposed in a moment of time. Some of y'all, you ain't had your moral compromises exposed in a long time. And you've gone on living with them thinking, this is going to be all right. We can probably write, I can keep lying. I can just keep on lying. You need that exposed. But see, the good thing about when God exposes it is He does something else. He doesn't just say, hey, you're dirty, don't come into my presence. I hate you. He doesn't say that, does He? And thank God that He doesn't. But He says, I'm undone, I'm ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. There's something in His heart that brings Him to confession. When I was in that room in Lexington that day, the one thing that I did was I began to confess. And I confessed with tears and brokenness, saying, God, I'm sorry. I I did not know what I was doing. I did not realize that. And as I began to confess, something began to break loose in me. Things were leaving me. Other things were coming into me. There was a transfer of my guilt and my shame and my sin onto the Holy One who was ready to take it because of what Jesus had done. And he says in verse 6 and 7, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. Now imagine a four-faced creature with six wings flying to you with a coal. I'd say, boys, get away from me. Either, or I would say, I'm dead. Like he's coming to kill me. Because in that moment, I realized the condition that I'm in. And he says, he flies toward him and he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin Purge. See, that's not a normal way of being purged. That's not a normal way of having your sins atoned for. Usually, if you were going to have your sins atoned for, you would have to go into the temple, offer up a blood sacrifice of a goat or a lamb or a bull or something like that, and then your sins would be atoned for because they would be imparted to that. But God is switching things and saying, you know what, the old order of how we dealt with sin is about to change. Because the old order of how we dealt with sin never actually got on the inside of you. It was always external. You thought you could be holy before God by what you did externally. And I'm saying, I'm trying to put my holiness on the inside of you. Change who you are from the inside out. His long-term plan, see, is, is to come into our sinful space and overwhelm us with His holiness so that it makes us whole. There are so many people living in our world that are confused and all they want to do is be affirmed in whatever sinful behavior that they are in. And we believe that that is accepting and all this. And I'm telling you, to take it from somebody that was in your same position. They said, this is who I am and you just need to, you just need to embrace who I am because I'm embracing who I am. I'm telling you, if you have an encounter with the Holy One of God, you'll realize, None of those things are who you are. And God will purify your heart and bring those things out of you and change you. Is it it easy? No. There's still challenges. There's still temptations. There's still things we wrestle with, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to walk in purity and walk with God. So God's holiness becomes a part of His mission to our world. The burning coal touches Isaiah it makes impure. And here's where I want to finish is with Jesus because really this burning coal is a picture of Jesus because here's the thing. In the old covenant, if anything impure touched something else, it made that thing which it touched impure. If you touched a dead body, you became impure. If you touched leprosy, you became impure. Jesus shows up on the scene. If you touched blood, you became impure. Jesus shows up on the scene and reverses everything. He is the holiness of God embodied. He teaches, he preaches his first sermon from the Sermon on the Mount. And when he comes down, literally exposing all their sins, because he's preaching on all their sins, tells them to be perfect, comes down off the mountain to a leper who is the living symbol of sin, who cannot be touched, who by law needs to be a certain amount away or he's going to be stoned to death. He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus could have made him clean by simply saying a word and not touching him. But instead, Jesus reverses the old covenant mindset of holiness and he touches him, and his holiness and his purity is now imparted to the one who had leprosy and he is cleansed in that moment. You will not get cleansed before you come to Jesus. You get cleansed by coming to Jesus. There is a reversal. There's a reversal. Of this holiness of God, this purity of God. The woman with the issue of blood touches what? The hem of his garment. It is a revelation of Isaiah's robe filling the temple. The train of his robe filling the temple. And she touches just the hem of his garment, the train of his robe. And when she does, virtue comes out of him and it heals that blood disease. By law, Jesus would have been unclean, but instead this woman becomes pure right in his very midst. He goes and touches dead bodies and instead of becoming richly impure, these dead bodies are raised from the dead. And they're like, well, he's richly impure. What do you mean? This person's not dead anymore. How can you touching a live person make you impure? He reversed everything. He comes up on the scene as God's embodiment of holiness. And then what he does is he says, you know what? Now I am the temple of the living God. No longer is God's presence dwelling somewhere in a temple somewhere, in a building where you got to go to and there's a veil torn. You remember when Jesus died on the cross, that veil tore from top to bottom. Why? Because the presence of God was being unleashed throughout the world. He's saying no more as we go in that old way of things where you got to get right before you come to God. God is now coming to you while you're not right in order to cleanse you and make you holy and make you pure and make you whole once again and heal your life. He's breaking out. And so Jesus teaches that He's now the temple of the living God and He teaches His disciples that when the Holy Spirit comes, you and I are now the temple of the living God. You know where God's holy presence dwells now? On the inside of believers of Jesus Christ. That's an insane thing to think about after all that we just talked about. The holy God who you couldn't enter into His presence has now decided to live in you. Mind-blowing. Now, we still have to take into account because he says, be holy as he is. If I am the temple of the living God, what should go into me? What should come out of me? And Jesus has this image, and this is why he says in in, in John chapter 7, if you put that verse up there for me. John chapter 7, he says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He's saying this about the holiness of God, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit, flowing out of believers in Christ now. And he's referencing Ezekiel 47, who Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 47, he had this vision. And he saw the temple and basically he saw what people were going in to see and to make sacrifices for is now flowing out of the temple. And the further that it flowed out from the bottom, the deeper it got. A river was flowing out of the temple and it was an image of Christ and the church and the holiness of God now breaking out of the temple in order to go throughout the world and heal the world. See, God's holiness is no longer something that you should be afraid to come into in that sense of we can't touch it, we can't get to it. God's holiness now is designed to flow through His people to heal the world. And here's what it says in Ezekiel 47:9: It shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. There will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there. For they will be healed and everything will live wherever the rivers go. Wherever you and I go with the presence of God, we bring healing, we bring life. And let me tell you something. The church of Jesus Christ is called to be holy. We are called to be like God. But it, once again, the only way that you become holy... It's by being with the one who is holy. I can't get... For me, there were so many things that I wanted to hold on to. So many sins that I thought, well, I'm going to justify this. I'm going to hang on to that. The only way that those things broke off of my life was because I continued to enter into the presence of the one who was holy. I'm going to read one last set of scriptures here in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 through 22. It says, For by one sacrifice He has made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. What does that mean? When Jesus died on the cross for your sins and His blood was shed, it was a perfect sacrifice. You don't have to offer another sacrifice. We don't have to bring a a bull or a goat or nothing else. You can put your faith in Jesus and He will cleanse you with His blood and make you so clean and forgive you so deeply that the Holy Spirit Himself will now come and live on the inside of you as His temple. And then you enter into a process where you are being made holy. You become a Christian, I know you come in here with addictions. I know you come in here with relationships that may not be that great. But guess what? If you surrender to Jesus, He will start you on a process. You ain't going to get perfect right out of the gate, but you will start being made holy by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we'll walk with you on the journey. And He goes on to say, The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. Notice this. I'll put my laws in their hearts. I'll write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus and a new and living way. He's saying you can have confidence now where you don't have to be afraid of entering into the presence of God. Because it's not your holiness and purity that gets you there. It's the blood of Jesus that gets you there. And you can enter into this presence of God. And when you enter into this presence of God, it transforms you. You can be driving down the road, listening to worship music, quoting scripture, and the holy presence of God will come and transform your life. Right in that place, right in that moment, it's a new and living way that He's opened for us through the curtain. That is His body. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, He says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that brings faith. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. He says he wants you to draw near. I want you to bow your heads with me just for a moment. He says, based on what Jesus has done, the shedding of his blood, the cleansing of your sins, he wants you to draw near in full assurance of faith. If you will put your faith in Jesus, there's nothing that is hindering you and saying you can't come in here anymore. Jesus has made a way. If you'll repent and turn from sin and you'll say, Jesus, I I, I trust in you. I've not got everything figured out yet. I've still got some hang-ups. I've still got some addictions. I've still got some struggles. But I'm willing to follow you because I want to experience you, God. And I need you to do what you did to Isaiah. I need you to cleanse me. I need you to purge me. I need you to help me. If that's you this morning and you say, I want to start that relationship with God. I want to step into that relationship with God. Would you just raise your hand right where you're at? Anybody. Anybody in the room? Just raise your hand. As an act of faith. Anybody in the room? Amen. Amen. Now for the rest of us, I want you to consider, is there any part of your life where you're aware that it's closed off from God? That you're not allowing the presence and the power and the Spirit of God to infiltrate that area of your life? Right now, I'm telling you, you need to open that door. You need to say, Jesus, I need your holiness. I need your purity to come into this place in my life. Come into this spot and bring redemption and bring healing. Father, we just pray right now in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would come upon each person. We need an encounter with your goodness, with your holiness. And God, there's some people that you're calling even in this moment. And Lord Jesus, you're you're calling them not just to be saved, but to enter into ministry, to allow your spirit, your presence, your holiness to flow through them. And God, we trust that in this moment, you're able to burn away certain things in our life. God, that are broken, that need your healing, that need your love. And so we just ask you to touch us now to bring that healing, to bring that forgiveness, to bring that redemption in Jesus' name.